We Time meets Me Time, where magic meets the sea on a Disney cruise. Adults can relax and enjoy dedicated spaces designed just for them. Indulge in a massage at Census Spa or take a dip in Quiet Cove, an adult-exclusive pool. Don't worry, the kids are having some me time of their own at incredible kids' clubs. And there's amazing we time, like entertainment, imaginative dining, character encounters, and more around every corner. A magical vacation at sea awaits on Disney Cruise Line. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. You can fast-track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love roaming around the Rosetta Stone app. I dabble in Italian, a country that I've visited many times and intend to go back to. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, LeVar Burton Reads listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash LeVar. That's rosettastone.com slash L-E-V-A-R. Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will too. You know, I never have a theme in mind when I start choosing stories for a new season of the podcast. But something always emerges. And season 12, it feels like it has two themes that actually overlap quite a bit. One is about belief and disbelief. Now, whether that's belief in magic or angels or religion or, as in today's story, in psychic readings. And the other through line of this season is loss and grief. That might be losing a loved one or losing and grieving a way of life. A lot of the stories this season deal with how we move forward. Those Fantastic Lives is about a young boy and his grandmother, Nellie, who is his guardian. Nellie is also an old-school psychic with very strong feelings about TV psychics and what they're doing to degrade her chosen profession. And when we meet her, Nellie is about to retire, about to perform her very last reading for a woman who's lost her son. This story was written by Bradley Sides, and it's from his debut collection entitled Those Fantastic Lives and Other Strange Stories. His writing appears in the Chicago Review of Books, Electric Literature, The Millions, and The Rumpus, among other places. He lives in Florence, Alabama, with his wife, and can be found on most days teaching creative writing and English in southern Tennessee. Please check out the written content advisory in the episode description if you are so inclined. And now, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. Let's begin.
those fantastic lives. By Bradley Sides. One mistake is what separated Nellie from the others. The fakies, as she called them. Nellie was no Miss Francine, and she certainly wasn't part of the even worse Psychic Sisters Network. She told her eight-year-old grandson, Sam, to mute the television every time one of the Psychic Sisters' cheap ads came blaring from the screen. Those old ladies and their stupidly written synchronized sentences, as if completing someone's thought was enough to make a person a psychic, or any kind of clairvoyant for that matter. Please, she grunted to Sam, rolling her eyes. Those women wouldn't know a real psychic if one bit them on their collective behind. Nellie conducted her last session before her self-imposed retirement no differently than the hundreds of others that had come before. Sure, she was admittedly a lot slower answering the door than the first time she'd welcomed a customer, but she still wore the same padded slippers to do so. Her familiar beige gown with faded black roses swept across the carpet the same way it always had, and when she reached for the doorknob, her hands still first had to fumble with her antique celestial head wrap in an effort to contain the graying hairs sprouting from beneath its edges. These were Nellie's ways. Moira! she announced before she'd even fully opened the door. She extended her arms to the young woman on the steps. Moira, with her perfect skin and shiny black hair, shyly stepped back and put out her hand to shake Nellie's. I knew it was you before I ever saw you. I'm the real thing, you know, Nellie said, trying too hard, even for herself. You already know my name. I have an appointment. Relax. It's just a little psychic humor. Besides, I'm a psychic. Not in the fortune-telling business, Nellie said. Moira smirked. For a moment, Nellie was quiet, fidgeting with her rings. You are even more beautiful than I imagined, she soon said, shifting the conversation in a more cordial direction. Her body loosened when she saw Moira's reaction. The woman's face relaxed at the compliment, and her crooked teeth gleamed in the morning sunlight. Nothing could last forever, though. The smell of cigarettes and baby powder seeped out of the doorway and blanketed Moira. She fanned the air and spit into the sky. (coughs) Thank you, she choked out, unable to ignore the compliment. Come, baby. Come, you are my last reading in this lifetime. (coughs) So, uh, let's get going. I have a retirement to enjoy, Nellie said amidst her own episode of sputtering, damp coughs. The two women regained their composure 
Then, Nellie stepped outside and grabbed her new client by the arm. Come on, she said. When they were inside, she slammed the door shut. Nellie ushered Moira down the hallway, past the dusty black and white photographs of her deceased family members. She pointed to each one. That one's thriving on the other side. This one is busy, and this one is very, very wild. (laughs) You wouldn't believe it. She turned to Moira and winked. Nellie stopped and stood at a portrait of her grandmother. She held her hand to her chest. I miss this one the most, but she's happy, just like she was in life, Nellie said. He, she said, flinging her arm up to the picture of her grandfather. Well, let's just say that he's not. (laughs) Oh, Moira said as her eyes widened. Loosen up, girl. Don't be so nervous, Nellie said. I'll get your answers. I'm not one of those fakies. Nellie led Moira into the reading room and pulled out a large wooden chair from the circular table. Please, she said, motioning for Moira to sit. The customer obliged. Her eyes traveled around the strange room. Midnight-colored ceiling. The scarlet, silk-draped walls candles on the edges of the floor, the crystal ball on the table. It looked ridiculous. Nellie knew as much. She hated it herself. But she didn't have much of a choice if she wanted to compete against the fakies and their entire faux-medium lives that popular culture had concocted and which had, consequently, tarnished the entire psychic community's once serious reputation since the 90s. Colors, candles, crystal balls, customers expected it. All of it. Nellie, though, didn't need anything other than a spirit. Although, at her age, she did appreciate a sturdy chair. She could reach voices at the supermarket while waiting on her turkey to be sliced, if she needed She moved to the other side of the cherry table and sat across from Moira. Nellie took a moment to collect her breath. And she wiped the streams of sweat that ran from her forehead and down her neck. She closed her eyes. Do you need me to get you some water or something? Moira asked. Nellie shook her head and looked up. Are you ready to begin? Moira readjusted in her seat. Is this going to hurt? Hurt? Nellie asked. (laughs) No, girl. This won't hurt. She stared at Moira, who didn't seem very comforted. Why? Nellie followed up. Did you think it was going to hurt? Did someone tell you it might hurt? Did you hear it on one of those fakey psychic sisters shows? No, Moira said her eyes peering up from her thick, magenta-rimmed glasses. It's not that. I've just never done anything like this. Nellie wiggled her shoulders. Oh, I see. No pain involved. Just relax. 
Nellie clenched her hands and popped her knuckles. Her shoulders still danced about as she turned her head from side to side. All ready, she said. She draped her hands over the crystal ball, holding her palms out. Okay, Moira said hesitantly. Place your hands under mine, Nellie said, moving to the front of her chair. Moira slowly extended her hands to the table. Come on, you can do it, Nellie said. Moira sighed and gave Nellie her hands. Good. Now, just relax. Moira closed her eyes and breathed deeply. She moved her weight to the back of her chair, and she listened. A blanket of silence suffocated the room. The flames from the candles popped and wax slithered down into the candle's cool holders. Each breath from the two women held power, each soul drifting away into grayness, but still their bodies present, both searching. Nellie's mouth began to open, slowly at first, and then wider. Her throat loosened. Sounds gurgling. Sounds building. Sounds trying to break free. Moira opened her eyes, and she watched Nellie. She'd heard that each psychic had her own way of contacting the other side. She wanted to see Nellie's. The psychic's eyes rolled back into her head, and her entire body shook as her mouth summoned a soul. Jackson, Moira whispered. Are you here? She asked. Nellie's body violently convulsed. Then the candles snuffed out. Her body was still. Are you here, son? Moira asked. Mommy? A soft voice said. Jackson, she said, her voice quivering. Are you okay, baby? A rumbling interrupted the silence. The table rocked until it crashed, and a pair of small bare feet rubbed against Moira's. They ran to the door and then through to the light in the hallway. Jackson, Moira cried. She leapt from the table and chased the body that had escaped the room. Jackson, her voice echoed down the hall and outside into the yard. Jackson, Jackson. The inside of the reading room was quiet again. Mommy, the tender voice called. A few seconds passed. Mommy, the voice asked. But there was no answer. Hey, HBCU fam, get ready to turn up the energy. McDonald's and the Thurgood Marshall College Fund have $1 million in scholarships at 53 HBCUs for 66 brilliant students. 
This year, you could be one of them. But time is running out. Did we mention the $1 million in scholarships? Apply by March 27th at tmcf.org. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Now, let's get back to our story. Nellie dialed Moira a dozen times from her bed the next day to apologize, but each ring led to her voicemail, one with an impersonalized, computer-generated voice. There was no use. But Nellie still spoke at the command of the tone. She regretted what had happened. She was sorry. She was sorry. She was sorry. But her apology wasn't totally sincere. She hadn't failed in the reading. Jackson came through. Nellie felt him. Moira spoke to him. He was in the room. It was Sam who should be apologizing. Little Sam and his big curiosity. Sam had lived with Nellie since he was three days old, and he'd grown up in her land of the dead. Her area of expertise wasn't a secret. She taught him about spirits and the other side. On his fourth birthday, she bought him, them, a Ouija board. She showed him how it worked and laughed when they conjured spirits, he heard, which usually belonged to guinea pigs or unicorns. Sometimes it was his father or his mother that he spoke to. But Nellie quickly corrected Sam during those moments. They are not dead to the world, baby. Just to us. He spied from his bedroom at Nellie's clients, but he never spoke to them. Nellie told him he was too young to be in the world of grown folks. Little boys do little boy kinds of things, she said. But she never exactly explained what little boy kinds of things included. He helped with just about everything. He seasoned the food she made, dried the dishes she washed, and folded the laundry she cleaned, all without complaint. He kept Nellie's schedule for her in a notebook. When she hung up the phone, she told him what to write. And he did. He questioned the empty dates as there grew to be more and more. Are we going on another trip, Nana? He asked her. Too old for trips, she said. She told Sam she was retiring and didn't say anything else. He would need to figure it out on his own. 
but he'd seen enough lunchtime soap operas to know what the word meant. Those same stories helped him understand a lot of what Nellie often talked about. But retiring? Well, retiring was different. It was a word that didn't quite fit her. Although Nellie advised him not to play with his Ouija board alone, that's exactly what he did on the morning of her final session. After he woke up Nellie, as he usually did, an hour before her appointment, he went to his room and sat on the floor. At eight, he was more serious with his efforts to connect with Nellie on her level. That desire to reach her increased by the day. He began to wear faded, wizard-like gowns, and a coal-black turban to breakfast. What is this? she asked him. I'm going to be a psychic, too. Fine, she said, sipping her tea. He was actually getting somewhere with his efforts. When he focused hard enough, the planchette slid over the board's letters without any extra assistance. Something else began to happen, too. He could hear whispers if the house was totally silent. On the morning Moira arrived, Sam listened for half an hour to the board, finally hearing the name Jackson. The name meant nothing to him at the moment, but maybe it would to Moira, the final name Sam had written down in Nellie's schedule. Sam's plan was in order. When Nellie went outside to greet Moira, he would slip from his bedroom and into the reading room, where he knew his grandmother would conduct the reading like she did all of her others. And he did. He hid behind one of the curtains on the wall, but the shadows made his presence too obvious. The table was big enough to hide underneath. He ducked under the wooden surface and crouched against the center pedestal. When Nellie and Moira entered the room, he became like a statue, still, quiet. As each chair moved, he pivoted. His body avoided contact, and he positioned himself against the table again. Nellie's shaking caused his body to loosen, but her actions weren't entirely unexpected. When she'd played with the Ouija board, she'd done the same. He was fine until Moira said her son's name. At the announcement of Jackson, he let out a gasp, but Moira was too focused to notice anything other than the words coming from Nellie's lips. Sam had been right. He was hearing. He was connecting. As Moira repeated her son's name, Sam couldn't contain his excitement. He fled. Nellie waited until her stories were on before she said anything to Sam. The music swelled as the first scene, like most others, opened straight inside Lorraine's bedroom. Nellie was unusually grateful when one of her coughing episodes came. 
Her rattling blocked the seductive words from reaching Sam's ears. When she finished, the scene continued, and it was getting worse. Everything was getting worse. She blurted, Pause it! Pause it! She flew up from the couch. I can't take it, she said. I don't want people thinking I'm one of those fakies. You know that. I'm Nellie. I'm not Miss Francine. And you know I'm for sure not one of those psychic sisters. You know this, Sam. You know it. You know it, she said, voice rising with each sentence. She continued quicker. I'm not a fakie. I've gone 60-some years of reading after reading with no complications. None at all. I'm talking total perfection. I'm good, Sam. I've avoided all the mumbo-jumbo nonsense except for that hideous room. And now, what will become of my legacy? I'll just be one of them. She, out of breath, sat back down, and dust blew from the couch cushions. I'm sorry, Nana, but I was excited, said Sam, putting the remote down. Yes, and nosy, very, very nosy. What do I always tell you? Little boys do little boy kinds of things, Nellie said, her hands reaching for her pack of cigarettes. I'm sorry, she whispered, but I've got to have two. Sam sighed. Your doctor said you have to stop doing that he said. Do I look like I care what my doctor said? Sam ignored her. I'm not so little, he said. Eight is little. But I'm psychic, Nana. I'm like you. Blah, 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 she said, lighting her smokes. Your hands moved on a Ouija board. No, he corrected. I heard a voice while I was using the Ouija board. It doesn't matter. That doesn't make you psychic. It might, he said. Nellie turned her head up to the ceiling and puffed. Thick smoke covered the room. She took another taste from her double cigarette. Did you at least tell Moira that you were sorry? She asked quietly. Sam's mouth turned crooked. I tried, but she was crying too hard and she slammed her car door in my face. Nellie shook her head. You could come out of retirement, Sam suggested, leaning over to her and resting his head on her lap. Maybe she'll agree to another reading. Not now, Nellie told him. Just hit play. She didn't tell him to cover his eyes. Sam waited a week before he called Moira. Nellie told him that it was for the best, but that he'd have to call her eventually. She explained that it was his responsibility to apologize for upsetting Moira. As he held the phone in his sweaty palms, the little device nearly slid right out. He shook so badly that he had to hang up and redial half a dozen times. He had a script in front of him the voicemail would be enough time for him to say what he needed to say. When Moira picked up on the third ring, Sam dropped the phone. 
It, like the plan itself, was broken. He reached down and fumbled with what remained intact, and when he held the speaker back up to his ear, she was still on the line. Um, hello, he said. This is Sam. Sam, the little boy from Nellie's? His voice sputtered. I know who it is, she replied. The line was quiet. I, um, I, Sam began. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to scare you and all. You didn't scare me. Oh, he said. I'm still sorry. Both were quiet again. Then Moira huffed, causing the speaker to crack. (laughs) You didn't scare me, Sam. You upset me, she said slowly. But I forgive you. You do? he asked, perking up. I do, she assured him. But I was very, very upset. I think you can imagine why. I can, he said. I really am sorry. Thank you for calling to say so. You're welcome, he said. I called for another reason, too, his voice perked up. Nana will do another reading for free. Tomorrow, if you are willing to come back. Oh, she will? Moira asked. I thought she was retiring. She did. She's coming out of retirement for one reading only. She swears it'll be her last one, for real, this time, he said. Then he continued. I won't upset you this time. Okay. I think I will agree to that. Good. I'll put you down for nine o'clock tomorrow morning on Nana's schedule. Bye, Sam, she said. And thank you for calling. You're welcome. He hung up the phone and went to find Nellie. He had some persuading to do. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact, with semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch. It's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Every day, our world gets a little more connected, but a little further apart. But then, there are moments that remind us to be more human. Thank you for calling Amica Insurance. Hey, uh, I was just in an accident. Don't worry, we'll get you taken care of. At Amica, we understand that looking out for each other isn't new or groundbreaking. It's human. Amica, empathy is our best policy. Now, let's get back to our story. Sam waited until the very last credit rolled on Nellie's stories for the day before he asked her. Her answer came slowly because her coughing prevented her from getting many words out. When she came to, her hand crept over to the table beside her end of the couch, and she grabbed a pack of cigarettes. 
She slapped the box down on her legs and peeled back the top. She retrieved two slim sticks. Just light them, she said. The house was unusually quiet when morning arrived. No snoring, no rustling, no pages turning. Being a boy raised on the importance of ritual, Sam still waited until an hour before Nellie's appointment with Moira before he went into his grandmother's bedroom. When he turned the knob and pushed back the door, he didn't even have to go to her to know. He ran to his room and grabbed the Ouija board from his toy shelf, ripping the box open and throwing the board onto the cold floor. His hands gripped the planchette as he closed his eyes. Nana, he cried. Nana. The doorbell rang as his hands began to move, but Sam stayed on the floor. He focused on the board. Nana. Then the doorbell came again and again. The sound echoed. Sam took the planchette and threw it into the wall. He tore the board into pieces. It had always been only a game. Just like Clue, but for dreamers. Nellie? Sam? Moira called. Sam closed his eyes, and he listened. If she wouldn't come to him on the board, maybe she would come to him like Jackson had to her. He turned his head to the ceiling. He shook. When he opened his eyes, Moira was standing in front of him. Him with his swollen eyes. Him with his broken heart. She was crying, too. He leapt from the floor and grabbed Moira's hand, hurrying her into the reading room. He pulled out the same chair she'd sat in before, and she took it. He went to Nellie's. When he held out his hands, Moira didn't hesitate. They, as one, closed their eyes and searched. And they waited. They waited for those fantastic lives they loved to find them again. When Sam came to, there was a woman in the doorway he recognized as the person he loved more than anyone. The same gown he'd seen her in so many times. The same head wrap that hid her age. But she wasn't alone. She was holding the hand of a little boy. I'm okay, the boy said. Tell Mommy that I'm okay. Sam squeezed Moira's hand, and she glanced up at him. I'm not a fakie, he whispered. What? she asked, her tears falling onto the table. He shook his head. He'd not meant to say it aloud. I can see him, Sam said, wiping away his tears. He's okay. 
he's really okay? And he will be, he said, looking back at Nellie. Sam nodded at his grandmother, and they both smiled. Then he turned back to Moira. He was ready for her next question. I think I've talked before on the podcast about um, my belief in the existence of other realms, other dimensions where energy as consciousness resides. Um, I believe that there are, are places where that energy is more available to us than others. There are, there are a lot of ghost hunter shows on cable these days so there seems to be an awful lot of interest in this other reality this other dimension my mother was a very firm believer in the other side she forbid us my sisters and i from ever touching a ouija board it was like no you no don't even And I never have. Because what she explained to me was that, you know, when you open up a space for something to come through, you don't know exactly what you're going to get. And I I I know that she was being protective. And 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 I can imagine now from my adult perspective that she really was concerned that the unknowingness of a child could attract something dangerous to us. I get that now. And it occurs to me now that that moratorium might be lifted. I don't know. There's so much skepticism. Like, I'm married to a woman who, you know... She's an atheist. She's from the Midwest. She's like, she don't believe shit. Um, but she got a recommendation for a psychic after her sister died. And she went to see this man. And she came back from that session an absolute believer. And whether you believe in psychics and their ability to communicate with those on the other side or not really has no bearing on their existence or no. Because spirit's going to do what spirit's going to do.
Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith, the best in the business, y'all. Our fabulous researcher is L.D. Lewis, always happy to have you aboard, my sister. Editing and sound design courtesy of the spectacular skills of Mr. Justin Asher. Our original theme and credits music is by our own Brendan Burns. And thanks to Talon Stradley for his invaluable production support. My thanks to Bradley Sides for allowing me to read his story today. You can find it in his collection of the same name. It's called Those Fantastic Lives, and it's available from Blacklight Press. You can also visit his website at bradley-sides.com. If you like the podcast, one of the best things you can do to support it is to tell a friend. Just pick an episode and send them the link. Share the short fiction wealth. And if you want to hear episodes ad-free with the bonus of some exclusive author interviews, sign up for Stitcher Premium. Just go to stitcherpremium.com to start your free trial. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And if you want to find me on the internet, I'm LeVar.Burton on Instagram, at LeVarBurton on Twitter, or the LeVar Burton on TikTok. You can also go to LeVarBurton.com. And hey, if you want to join my book club, go to fable.co slash LeVar. We're reading together, y'all. Come join us. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. Who doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie? Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a house. It's your home, the place that's filled with memories. The early days of figuring it out to the later years of still figuring it out. For the place you've put down roots, Trust Amica Home Insurance. Amica. Empathy is our best policy.